This episode of our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by Zapper. Zapper is one of the world's leading XR companies. Over the past 12 years, they've won numerous awards for memorable campaigns. They've democratized AR by making tools and SDKs that anyone can use. And they created Zapbox, the world's most affordable mixed reality headset. Most recently, Zapper worked with Unilever to create an enhanced QR code called Accessible QR, which enables packaged goods to speak to the blind and partially sighted. If you're thinking XR, give the team at Zapper a call or visit Zapper.com to see how they can help you on your XR journey. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink. I'm here with uh, Rony Abovitz, who is on a ferry, on a boat in Florida. Ted's not with us this week. Um, but we're happy to be here with you, Roni, after missing you for a couple of weeks. Oh, I should say, of course, it is January 26, 2024. And our guest today is David Weinstein. He's NVIDIA's head of XR. So we will look forward to welcoming him after we hit the news real quickly. But Roni, tell us, what are you doing on a ferry? <laughs> I am in my... I'm I'm in my uh, Defender on a ferry boat going to a James Bond-esque private island meeting an investor friend. Uh, beyond that, I can't really tell you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a private island, but it's not a secret island. It's just a private island. It's it's not a secret island, but it's private. And um, uh, we're, we're having an interesting meeting today. And last time I was there was like, a, um, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And there's like a beach on the island. And I was sitting there meeting this guy. And another person came by that had a falcon. And I thought, okay, it's pretty weird. He had a falcon sitting on his arm during uh, having lunch. So it's that kind of thing. He was, he was, very, had a falcon, falcon on his arm, but was not an Arab sheik. No, no, it was uh, an Italian gentleman. Just, just a hobbyist, a falconer. Falcon hobbyist. A falconer, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So in in the news this week, it's a little uh, interesting funding news from a company called Eleven Labs. Are you familiar with them, Roni? Yes, yes. The AI spigot is alive and well. Yeah, they got a eighty million, another eighty million at a one point one billion dollar valuation. So uh, the uni- the AI unicorn pipeline keeps chugging along. Of course, they've got Class A investors like Sequoia and Andreessen, and um, and the pedigree of the founders is uh, Google and Planeteer. So clearly some people who are um, uh, deep tech pioneers. And uh, I use this app uh, in my classes and in my AI filmmaking practice. And it is quite extraordinary and getting better and better. No, this is great stuff, Charlie. And look, I think people are astounded by the amount of capital coming in. I, it, if you look relative to the transformation of the economy, which you can measure in tens of trillions in the 2020s and 2030s, the investment's actually a small infinitesimal against that economic shift. So I think we're just going to see like continued movement um, by investors taking shots at every sector of the economy being transformed by AI. I, I think this is not the this is not the end. This is not even the end of the beginning. This is like the beginning of the beginning. Oh yeah, this is the internet in 1993. I mean, it's it's yeah. Yes. Uh, everything is going to be different when it's done. We just don't know exactly the timing of that. <laughs> but but the end is certain. Uh, one thing about this particular uh, investment that I – two things, actually, that I think are really interesting. One is is that it's becoming increasingly real time, right? So you literally could be 
dubbed in real time with another language while you're speaking. And we've seen this from LipDub and others. This technology is developing very quickly. The, the other thing that I thought was a little disturbing was this was the same week where we had Joe Biden robocalls going on in Maine yes. with his cloned voice. So it's like, ugh, do we always have to have the icky bad part with the good part? Well, so, Charlie, um, uh, yesterday I gave a, a talk at Miami-Dade College with the president. It was actually a wonderful thing. It's a 120,000 student college in Miami. They have an amazing AI lab. And, and one of the students asked me that question. And I said, unfortunately, AI, AI has a huge asymmetry. The amount of bad things you can do are way bigger than the amount of good things. Um, so to be a Jedi in AI takes enormous effort. The natural entropy state is just for AI to be used for evil, bad things. And I think the market and maybe our listeners don't fully understand it. They think it might be balanced. But the the evil Sith side of it is so easy, is so big. Uh, there's so many lures that it takes immense energy and capital to actually keep it away from that. So I feel like those robocalls and, and this is the beginning. And I'm actually a believer that we need all kinds of like structures and ways to keep us safe. Um, and keep AI in the path that it helps people, because there's so many pathways for AI not to help people. I just uh, my, we could do my, a whole episode on that. My big fear, as you know, and and our regular listeners know, I repeat myself constantly, and I'll apologize in advance of saying this, but uh, you know, when has man never rushed headfirst into technology, regardless of the negative consequences? And, uh, Oppenheimer, man. Oppenheimer. It's, it's terrifying. Right? We, we just did it. Yeah. It, it, it is terrifying. So what happens to us, Roni, when we don't know what's real anymore? That's my deepest fear. Look, I, I think you're going to see a movement um, of like a return to full organic analog. Um, and I'm already seeing it, right? Uh, there, there's a, there's a, a new company that's coming out with like a Walkman style cassette player, but designed like teenage engineering style. And like, it's totally not digital, right? I think you have a, a class of Gen Zers who are like, I don't want that anymore. I want the cassette tape. I want the vinyl. And yet I'm living in this crazy AI world. So there's this weird yeah. um, congruence of a retreat back to like natural things while we're jumping forward into super unnatural synthetic things. So I, I think we're going to see like weird philosophical uh, bounces as people see uh, computing surpass human ability in all areas and then wonder what what's it for? Why are we here? And I think philosophical contemplations can become a bigger thing um, yeah. as jobs get wiped out and, and all sorts of things happen. I think it's going to be important. Like we have to realize what are we building these things for? Uh, and no one's thinking about that. And it is important for us to think about it right now. I'm sorry. Did you say, is it important or it is important for us to think about it? It, right it now? is very important. It is very important for us to think about this right now. Um, I, I wish we could stop the world and just have that conversation. Um, here's here's a, another bit of news that I thought was interesting. There's a new app called Artis. Uh, it's grown very quickly. It's a subscription app that lets you take a bunch of selfies, and they can be your crappiest half-awake selfies. And they it will transform you into a supermodel on the exotic set uh, with the wardrobe uh, of your choice. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm laying on a, a motorboat on Lake Cuomo uh, looking like George Clooney, right? And so, you know, it trains a model of you and then can put it anywhere. You can use reference images. It's not that expensive. It's sort of priced 
for people who are influencers and social media marketers. So, you know, it's like between, uh, I think 10 and 50 bucks a month. So, uh, very accessible for that audience. And you can make a lot of content very quickly that you would never, ever have, uh, access to otherwise, or you would have to do, you know, an extensive Photoshop or, uh, you know, other, other kind of uh, paste up job to pull it off. But in, in this case, it's automatic. It's kind of amazing. $6.7 million. I'll give you a quick comment on that, Charlie. What's, what's disappointing to me is like the firepower of AI could be used to cure cancer, uh, resolve climate change, invent and create completely new mediums and experiences. But this kind of use case is going to make a lot of money. It's going to feed weird social anxiety disorders and narcissism at scale through Instagram and TikTok and all that. But it's kind of like, man, can't we do better? Like, can't we do better with this firepower we're given? And instead, we're doing things that just create more like neuroses and more anxiety for teenage girls. Like what? Like, is this really why we were put on this planet and given such competing power to misuse this great power? It's like, you know, the superhero when you're Spider-Man, like, why are you given that power not to misuse it? And I feel like as a, as a race, we are failing right now on that level as a human race. So you mentioned teenage engineering a few moments ago, which is a, I a, love them. I a, love them. So they can they, they designed a product, which probably turned out to be the product of CES. And I'm talking about the rabbit R1. The rabbit R1 is a device that is sort of the size of a Tamaguchi, right? One of those, uh, uh, uh you know, uh, digital pets. And, uh, it's only got a couple of controls. It's got a tiny little screen and you use it to interface with your existing apps uh, on the go. So you go to a website called the Rabbit Hole, and you start to hook up your little Tamaguchi with all of your existing apps and passwords. And all of a sudden, the Tamaguchi has every app that you have. It's just in the cloud. And this little yes. tiny cheap device is $200 and they are promoting it as something they called a large Ackman model. So it's AI that's designed to essentially operate your smartphone and supposedly can be trained to do any kind of repetitive task like opening up YouTube and you know listening to NPR or whatever it is you do uh, with your apps can be done uh, on the Rabbit R1. Uh, and it was designed by Teenage Engineering. I mean, it looks like a giant Lego. Um, super cheap, $200. I mean, it's, it's you know, using something called a MediaTek processor, which I think is one of those things you buy on Alibaba for, you know, 25 cents for a thousand. And uh, they've sold, since they introduced it at CES, uh, they've sold uh, 50,000 of the fuckers for $200. That's 10 million bucks. Um, it, it's a lot. Um, tip tip of the hat to teenage engineering. It's also a completely new idea, right? This is like the opposite of the AI pin, uh, which costs five hundred dollars more and uh, requires a monthly uh, subscription to a uh, to a Wi-Fi wireless service, a wireless carrier. Well, well I think like uh, you know that that when you think about that humane AI pin versus the rabbit, I think the rabbit represents a design concept that feels like an MIT media lab design concept that's much more compelling in my mind. Like the idea of a AI based operating system and this cool AI appliance. Stay in the car. 
is, is super amazing. Um, now, will this company succeed? I mean, Charlie, do the math. What's the cost of goods on that? I know, but well, I don't the understand. Cost of goods? I don't understand. How could they not have a monthly subscription? How do they make money? I mean, okay, they made this thing. Maybe they'll make $10 million on it. I don't know, but that's not no, going to no be way. enough. Like, that's not going to be enough to, to have a hosting service indefinitely. I, I think there's zero margin on that device right now. However many they sold, probably the more they sell, the deeper in the hole they get. There, there There's, I, I don't know who's backing it exactly. I don't know who, who it is, but if you think about it. like It's a Chinese company. This, it's a Chinese company. Right. When you think about like what, like, but let's, let's think of China's China Inc., right? And when you think of China Inc. launching many companies into the world and into the West, wouldn't they love to blow up the iPhone? Wouldn't they love to have another TikTok-like capability to own your entire data stream, everything you're doing and saying and thinking? So if you think about what this rabbit's really doing and who owns it, <laughs> that's the part that scares the crap out of me. So let me just separate my the two things or three things. I love Teenage Engineering, awesome design company. I have their music stuff. I love them. Yay, Teenage Engineering. I love the concept of an AI-based OS. I truly dislike, and Charlie, you got to opine on this, uh, the idea that the West will fall into another hole like TikTok, that we're just going to give up all of our data and thinking patterns to China. That's just absolutely insane. And the pricing on this makes zero sense. It's subsidized by China Inc. So if you're an American, if you're in Western Europe, you have to think 10,000 times before you actually use this in any other way other than experiment, because you are just speaking into the Chinese ink server, you know what I mean? And just handing over whatever you're doing and all your apps. And I mean, it is like a, a wholesale, pretty blatant attempt to just grab you in a way that TikTok no. tried to grab pieces. This is like, let's go for the whole thing. And if people aren't aware, like if you're aware of what you're doing, just maybe just ship them your bank information and all your personal data and say, you know, put it on your website. Just, Ship it over to Beijing, but like in the meanwhile, no. Well, yeah, well, I would say, I would say, I would say, uh, you're okay sharing your Spotify password, putting it down the rabbit hole. Sure. <laughs> putting putting your Spotify password in the rabbit hole will will not harm you. But I do think you are correct, Roni. Putting your email, your um, you know, your Google uh, passwords, your you know, yeah, your bank, uh, bank info, information. Your I mean, that's crazy. Network. No, it's true. It's true. It's it's crazy. Look, David Weinstein is here. Let's not make him wait. We'll admit David. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. So he may know a few things about XR that we do not. Certainly, uh, certainly NVIDIA seems to have completely vacuumed up all of the um, corporate applications of the metaverse. David. Hey, good morning. Welcome. You're with me and Roni Abovitz, although Roni is without his camera this morning because he is in a car. No hey, David. Hey, Roni. How are you? But I, I gather you guys know each other. Uh, by reputation alone. I don't think we've ever had the pleasure of meeting in person, Roni. So good to meet you. So, yeah, I definitely know of you, David. And uh, NVIDIA was our first chip partner on the Magic Leap 1 and, and uh, Indeed. spent actually time with Jensen and team on it. So... Super excited yep. to to talk to you about what you're doing with XR now at NVIDIA. Fantastic. Yeah, so what? why don't we jump in right there? Since we've not met, David, I would love to hear about your work at NVIDIA. And um, and then we'll, we'll dig into some different XR applications that you guys are excited about. 
Perfect. Love it. Um, okay. So, uh, so maybe I'll introduce myself first and then kind of talk a little bit about my role and, you know, what I, uh, what, what NVIDIA is focused on. So, um, so I'm Dave Weinstein. I'm senior director of XR at NVIDIA. Um, my team is responsible for managing NVIDIA's XR products. Um, and so those products range from uh, low-level things. Um, you know, there's functionality built into the GPUs to accelerate XR uh, up through our SDKs and libraries and APIs, um, even some applications and tools. So we, we manage all of that. Uh, and then we work closely with the um, with our ecosystem partners. So those span the range of um, device manufacturers. Uh, as Roni said, we we work closely with that ecosystem, um, as well as our partners over on the software side, making sure that their ISV applications are able to take advantage of all of the um, capabilities that we build into the the GPUs. Um, so that's what we do. Uh, I. I'm fortunate to have an amazing team uh, standing behind me that does all of that. Um, but broadly speaking, uh, NVIDIA focuses on what we like to call the four pillars uh, of XR for NVIDIA. Um, and they're really, they really kind of fall in line with NVIDIA's um, uh, uh, culture of working on the problems that we're uniquely positioned to solve. So I'll just kind of quickly tick them off and then we can chat more about, you know, whatever part of that you want. Um, so, you know, the, the four pillars um, start with us for photo, with photorealism. As you know, we've uh, built hardware ray tracing into our GPUs with RTX. Uh, and this allows you to make absolutely beautiful uh, photorealistic VR and AR images, which is important for um, design review, you know, there's there's many of us who really want XR to look real, to feel real, to behave like the real world. Um, so it starts with photo real. Uh, um, AI is uh, is crucial um, for XR. Uh, I deeply believe that AI is going to provide um, all of the uh, all of the UI for XR. Anybody who's who's tried to um, navigate an application uh, using using controllers knows that it's not the most intuitive thing to do. And I think we're seeing all sorts of amazing um, uh, proof of concepts and products come out in the uh, sort of this intersection of AI and XR. And I'd be happy to talk more about that. Um, oh yeah. The, By the way, David, the, on that topic, uh, yeah, hundred million percent agree with you. When I when I started Magic Leap, my thought was the killer app for XR was AI, mm -hmm. um, and that when AI reached a maturity point, hopefully that would converge with the maturity point of the device and the sensing, and that that next level experience would just define the future computing. And I I, I think it's coming together. Uh, people have separated these two fields, but as they come together, I think mind blowing stuff's coming and. I think you agree, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's so so exciting. I mean, uh, there there are um, technology things that we've seen come and go that you know were neat or were fun, but I totally agree with you. I think this you know intersection of AI and XR is um, is is going to be incredibly fruitful for the ecosystem. It's Jarvis. I mean, it's kind. Of, I mean, it's very like yeah, it if is. you if you grew up watching mm -hmm, Iron Man, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. basically this this combination. I mean, you could you could experience a proto Jarvis today with like Omniverse and some AI and an ML2 or an Apple Vision Pro. I mean, you, you can 
you're going to feel a bit Tony Stark, even in 24, if, if you are a decent coder. Yeah, and just seeing kind of the range of touch points for um, AI and XR, uh, to your point, the kind of natural interaction of just being able to speak to the application is, um, is phenomenal, is very Jarvis-like. Um, but then even other things, other kind of, you know, AI aspects like nerfs as a graphics primitive, right, uh, is is amazing and is really kind of essential when you think about streaming. So streaming is is one of our other, you know, four pillars. Uh, these the the devices, the headsets, they're phenomenal, but, you know, they're they're strapped to your head. And so they can only have so much heat dissipation, so much power built into them. And so um, split mode has to be the future, right? We're going to continue to have massive amounts of power, um, either in our local workstations or in data centers. And that's what, you know, we're going to want to tap into that for AI, for photorealistic rendering. And so having a, um, a very easy to use transport layer, uh, all of the APIs to, to support that, is really what's what the ecosystem is building out now. David, what year did you join NVIDIA? Uh, exactly eight years ago. So 2016, uh, January was my was my start date. Um, before that, I'd been doing uh, startup companies, which was which was a riot. I loved it, um, and uh, I reached out to a, a good friend of mine as I was about to launch startup company number four. I shouldn't say about to launch, as I was ideating on uh, a mm -hmm. few different options for startup company number four. And uh, and um, he said, why don't, why don't you just come join us at NVIDIA? Uh, you know, this, this VR thing is going to be a big deal, and we need somebody to run enterprise VR. Uh, why don't you come talk to some folks? So, um, so my reply was, uh, I tried VR about five years ago, and it wasn't great. And he's like, yeah, no, it's it's a lot better now. Uh, and of course, it, it it was and has continued to get much, much better ever since then. So, yeah, I joined about eight years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, this was uh, back in NVIDIA's Maxwell days. So, you know, uh, a few generations back, um, we uh, um, we showed that that VR was uh, was possible. We introduced our whole VR Works SDK in order to um, drive these headsets. Everything was PC attached back then, um, and uh, and there were some really good, fun early VR experiences. Um, Nvidia built VR Funhouse to kind of show off um, a bunch of uh, physics-based things that we could do on our GPU. Um, you know, the lab came out. Uh, there was some um, early uh, kind of light field work that um, NVIDIA did that was really cool. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was exciting even since then. And as you know, it's just exploded. Well, your timing has been impeccable, right? Because the, uh, the AI explosion has been just utterly amazing. And NVIDIA is like the underlying driver for almost all companies. Um, but then I think people have lost sight love to get your take on it and uh, lost sight that the Omniverse and NVIDIA's also belief in sort of this like, you know, immersive AR, VR worlds coming together and an XR, you know, oh, that's over, it's AI, but you guys have kept on the vision of the combination. So like, where's that coming from? Because I, I believe in that. I think Jensen has great vision, but you know, the market and analysts, so investors, like they just flit around left and right, but you guys have been pretty steady. 
what's kept that steadiness? Um, yeah, I, you know, to your point, Jensen has unbelievable vision, right? He's, you know, pe people say he lives in the future. He's able to see around corners. He does have extraordinary vision. And when he's right, he's right. And um, NVIDIA has been convinced for for years now that AI is the killer app for um, for GPUs. Uh, and, um, you know, has just continued to to push and push and push. Obviously, we continue to um, to do amazing graphics as well. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's just been Jensen's steadfast belief, commitment, uh, that that has just permeated the company, and um, yeah, we uh, um, we've we've held tight to that. I mean, I think the other thing that's happened is um, if you look at uh, what we've done with Omniverse, Omniverse, Omniverse is a simulation engine, right? It's it's mm -hmm. um, it's been built to uh, to. Um, we, we obviously use it um, quite a bit for, uh, for simulation for self-driving cars. Um, we build it uh, or we use it um, quite a bit and our partners use it quite a bit on the robotics front. Um, but the point is, if we want to have AIs that are going to uh, run around and operate in the real world, we need to first build virtual worlds and train them in those virtual worlds. Right, train them to be robots, train them to operate in those spaces, and so that was that was kind of the underpinnings, the beginnings of um, was of Omniverse was to enable that. Uh, and when you built out a uh, a framework, a platform to enable that level of simulation, of course, there's um, a million amazing things that you can do with it. One of them being XR. Uh, and that, you know, that has has led to some fantastic uh, photo real ray traced, fully immersive XR experiences that we've um, that we've shown off at, at various events and blogged about. Uh, and um, and I, I should mention, and I hope we'll have a little more time to talk about this. Um, you know, we're going to have a chance to show off all of this finally again in person at GTC uh, in just a couple of months. So um, GTC, as you guys um, probably know, is NVIDIA's uh, GPU technology conference. We do it every year. And um, I'm going last, this year. I'm going this year for I, the first time. I heard about that. I'm excited to uh, get to see you in person, Charlie. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, it seems like NVIDIA is taking over my life. Every place I look, I'm involved with NVIDIA. <laughs> it's hard to get away from was, you guys. <laughs> that was exactly our goal. So I'm glad to hear it's working. Um, you know, we the the uh, the XR team um, has has had great content at our GTCs. You know, even over the last four years, even through through COVID and virtual and all of that. But but you got to put on the headset. <laughs> you have to see yeah. the devices. I mean. Trying to describe XR to somebody through a screen is um, is a little challenging. So we're super excited to be uh, back in person in March, uh, and we have a big uh, XR zone that we built out with amazing demos. And um, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing you there. And that's awesome, showing you all of it. So can anybody get in? I mean, you guys reached out to me as a, as a writer, but uh, is it open to the public? 
Everybody gets in. Yep. So wow. um, so you could draw a pretty big thousands of people should be there, right? Yes. It, <laughs> it, um, it will be incredible. Uh, Jensen will do his his keynote on the first day. Um, registration is currently open. You can go on our website, uh, um, register, purchase. You can purchase a um, exhibition pass and come in and see all the amazing things we have in, on the expo floor. You can purchase a full conference pass, which entitles you to come in and see the um, the sessions and special events. And uh, yeah, there's an amazing lineup. Uh, if you just go to the NVIDIA website, you can uh, find out all about it. David, can I make a wish request of you guys? Um, sure. Qualcomm with Snapdragon has really made a big run at being the XR chip of choice for like almost all device makers, with the exception being the ML2 is running on an AMD and Apple's got their own chip, but almost everyone else is on Snapdragon. And the thing NVIDIA brings uh, is not only immense graphics firepower, but immense AI firepower. And I, it would be kind of wonderful, uh, just speaking for the industry for a second, not that I had an official spot speaking for the industry, but like if, if NVIDIA came out with like the ultimate XR chip that gave you like crazy graphics blended with AI, lightweight, power, battery, I think if you wanna drive this revolution to the next level, where you can drive the kind of 4K plus graphics and AI together. I, I'm trying to imagine like, how could NVIDIA not do that? I know you guys have been making a ton on the heavy iron in the back end, but that that front end probably needs NVIDIA to focus on it. Um, you probably can't comment on this too much, but it was just sort of my wish to you. Yeah, no, it's a good wish. Um, and you're right, I can't comment on it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, th this, uh, you're not the first person to bring this up. Um, uh, <laughs> NVIDIA uh, um, takes that opportunity, this opportunity um, uh, seriously. And so, um, yeah, just know that we're, uh, we're, we're thinking about this and, um, and stay tuned. But, um, but your point is well taken. Awesome. I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's not going to be the case that, um, that everything is happening in one particular place. It's not going to be the case that, you know, all of the, the rendering and pixel generation happens on device. It's also not going to be the case that all of it happens, you know, in the cloud 800 miles away, right? So what's really interesting to me is these um, hybrid systems where uh, you start to think about what's an intelligent way to split the rendering and AI components of your pipeline so that uh, you're optimizing for the right thing, right? I have a certain amount of battery power um, in device. Uh, I don't want to burn that all out in 90 minutes. It needs to last for you know um, a significant amount of time. Uh, and so how do I offload some of the pieces? And, and we've seen some really interesting um, solutions over the years. So, um, so one way that you can do this is uh, you can do um, indirect illumination, sort of the global illumination pieces of rendering in the cloud, uh, and then local illumination uh, on headset, right? And then um, by streaming those, this is called RTXGI, by the way. I'm not making this up on the fly. This is actually something that NVIDIA research has shown up. You can combine those then locally 
And one of the great things about something like a streaming RTXGI solution is the human visual system uh, is um, very tolerant of high amounts of latency for uh, for things like shadows, um, you know, global illumination effects. Uh, and so it's okay if there's, you know, it takes 100 milliseconds to kind of get an update to uh, to all of that GI, uh, as long as you're getting the direct illumination um, very quickly as you move your head. Uh, oh, similarly, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, go on, David, go on. Um, I was just going to say, you know, there there are numerous other ways we've seen, you know, layered depth images where you sort of render the scene um, in, in layers, and that allows you uh, dynamically on the headset um, as a person is moving around uh, to kind of adjust those layers to do updates. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I think that streaming nerfs are a really interesting intermediate representation where you do a bunch of compute off in the cloud, um, and then you, uh, you can do lighter weight uh, compute locally um, and, and still get amazing photoreal results. So, I think so, David, I spent a ton of time. Uh, sorry, Charlie, really, really quick. I just want to finish on David's thing. We spent a ton of time working on this problem at Magic Leap. And one of the beautiful things about what you're describing is if you got an NVIDIA A100 backend full of like just rich graphics and AI integration with the Unreal Engine, and you guys and Epic have had a really good relationship. And then if your front end has this to be determined NVIDIA chip, what's amazing there is because of CUDA and your software layers, you can imagine the hyper optimization between what is happening on my head and what is happening in my pocket and what's happening on the server. If we want to get to like truly amazing photorealistic avatar type worlds, I don't think it's going to be having to jump between different companies. Because uh, I think everything is so tight. Tolerances are, I mean, it's like milliseconds, half milliseconds and sub things. You guys could actually create a chain that would give Apple a lot of pain. You know, because they don't control your the NVIDIA backend, right? Even mm -hmm. though they make an amazing chip for the A100, if you have a competitor, you can go from chip to cloud through Unreal and in a way that would probably be best in class of anybody right now. Anyway, more wishlist stuff. Charlie, back to you. Uh, I, was, I was just going to point out that Qualcomm has been uh, a big advocate of split rendering for the past five years, at least since the second generation of Snack, Snapdragon. Uh, you know, Spaces is built to optimize split rendering. So uh, this is, they've been thinking along the same lines. Obviously they are a competitor uh, and mm -hmm. obviously there are ways that, that NVIDIA can, um, can compete with them and others. And I'm sure uh, you will, as you said, stay tuned. Can't wait to see how that unfolds, but, but a very similar approach, right? The idea that you're mm -hmm. just not going to get that much compute close to the person. Uh, you get right. some and, and you have to be clever about what you do locally and how it mixes with the, um, with the compute in the cloud, which of course is subject to more latency. So very complicated, interesting technology. I, I wanted to rewind, rewind real quickly, just because I'm very literal minded. And you said there were four main things. You started yep. off with photorealism and uh, yep. the um, critical relationship of uh, XR and AI. Uh, you, you, we got to split rendering. What is number four? Before we run out of time, what is number four? 
Yeah. Um, no, I'm glad you brought it back to us. And just to clarify, you know, number three is is kind of streaming in general, which includes split rendering and AI from the cloud and and all of those pieces. So those are number three. And and not to, I don't want to just kind of skim over that because um, doing uh, streaming well is really hard, right? Mm. Getting those latencies down. Uh, and and there's great technology being built out from um, from the telcos uh, and things like 5G uh, to to really drive down the latencies. And so it's an important thing to kind of keep an eye on. So I just I didn't want to just gloss over that. But to answer your question, you know, number four is collaboration, right? I think collaboration is a superpower of XR, right? It's great that that we can be here doing this in in Zoom. Uh, I'm a big fan. But I love the idea of, you know, being able to put on a headset and not just see, uh, you know, cartoon version of, um, of Charlie, but actually feel like you and I are there. And again, we've seen uh, we've seen proof of concepts of this. Um, we've seen uh, good examples. I mean, Autodesk V-Red has done collaboration um, forever. Uh, and, you know, we've already talked a little bit about Omniverse, but Omniverse is really a collaboration engine. You know, underpinning Omniverse is the Nucleus server, which is uh, um, uh, a super fast database to facilitate um, collaboration around USD assets. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about collaboration finally kind of permeating the XR ecosystem. And I think we're close. Um, and do you mean that from an int? Uh infrastructure standpoint rather than from necessarily a hardware standpoint right yeah i mean it i mean it from the standpoint of um getting having people collaborate right so you and i in, in a virtual environment collaborating but also getting the applications uh all um all kind of piped into uh an infrastructure together and that's been you know a, a lot of the effort around omniverse is building this um, ecosystem through connectors where all of the different DCC tools uh, can talk to Omniverse because USD ends up being this lingua franca, right? As long as everything can, can go in and out of USD, we're good. Uh, and, um, and then using that, you know, we can build these super exciting workflows uh, and have real-time collaboration around assets. So, uh... One thing just to, to make clear to the listeners, USD means universal scene description. It's a language that originated with Pixar that's been widely adopted as an open source uh, way for people to interact with and inside of 3D. Fair? Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I should have, should have clarified. And um, with regard to Omniverse, and you mentioned the sim simulation engine and the emphasis on photorealism, because that is something that... Uh, you know, commercial VR headsets, at least that are accessible to consumers, have had a hard time with. So when we're talking about people using this commercially, then, are they using higher end headsets or are they just working off of monitors or what? what is the practice there? Yeah, so I think the um, so driving photo real graphics is really a rendering problem. And um, you know, with all due respect to, uh, to to Qualcomm and others, as I said before, you just don't have enough compute on your head in a wireless headset to drive photoreal graphics. That you can't render fast enough. 
And so, you know, that's something that needs a big GPU, could be local, could be in the cloud, it doesn't matter. Um, what, what inspires me about um, the headsets is they have phenomenal displays. They have a brilliant array of sensors that are being built in, uh, in order to sense everything from, you know, body pose, biometrics, all of it. Uh, but the rendering problem and, and the AI problem solving, you know, doing large language model uh, um, inference, you're, you're just not going to be able to do that in a small power envelope, right? And so, you know, photo real uh, to me means um, bigger compute and, and so does big AI. Let's talk about AI and XR for a minute. What that has always meant to me, and I think you and Roni will both have more perspective on this than I do. What that has always meant to me is what Alvin Graylin and I used to debate about, right? What can you conjure worlds into existence using natural language, right? Yep. So, you know, David, let's do this interview on the beach. And there we are. Yeah. And there we are. Right. Yeah. So, and so, so that's the one most obvious one, right? But there must be yeah. dozens of others that I'm just not. Oh, Charlie, there's like thousands more. I know. More I know. Well, let's 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 talk about some of those. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, the the one you just talked mentioned is kind of the you know the mid journey. Um, give me a picture of a beat. Give me a picture of right. whatever. Um, so uh, text to X, where X is an image. Um, and you know, let's let's just say speech to X because we're in an immersive environment and typing is hard, and so yeah. and we know that um, the AI is there for that. So speech to image, great. Uh, speech to um, to video, done. Right? There's there's lots of good examples of that. It takes a little bit longer, but we have very cool early examples of speech to video. We have um, speech to uh, environment map, right? And uh, some uh, partners. This is obviously is a great use case for um, for immersive because I don't just want a image that I can put on the wall in front of me. I want to create an entire environment or environment map around me for relighting my car or whatever it is. But then speech to three D is um, is really cool, and uh, and we've seen some early examples. Luma AI. If you go to their webpage, they have um, uh, Genie up, and you can say. Give me a 3D model of, you know, a schnauzer wearing a party hat and out comes a 3D model. It's not just an image. It's a 3D model. Right. And so um, and uh, now people are doing speech to nerf. Right. So you can actually get kind of a light field out, which, again, is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, that's but crazy. Yeah, speech. Yeah, speech as your user interface to content creation. Um, you know, and we've uh, I've avoided saying the word metaverse so far, but, you know, the, the metaverse is a big empty space until we populate it with a bunch of amazing things. And I love the idea idea of just being able to say, populate this as a you know beach environment. And it's not just an image. There are actual umbrellas and actual, um, you know, the rest of it. So. Um, so, yes, for content creation, uh, Gen AI is incredible. Um, there are uh, certainly other um, exciting ways that we'll be able to use it. We have applications like Omniverse, like Autodesk VRED, like others, where it would be great to be able to just speak to VRED, right? To say to VRED, 
um, change the car to green, open the passenger door, let me see this model, you know, in a different environment. And in this case, I'm not speaking uh, to, you know, whatever, some something that uh, is a bespoke application meant to just generate content, you know, built on an LM. I'm speaking to VRED with a uh, um, an AI agent sitting in the middle that is, um, and, and you can do this without having to change anything about VRED, without having to change anything about your content creation tools. And so using speech as a way to control uh, the applications that we know and love every day, um, to me, is also really exciting, right? Because I'm not so, going to So, David, I, I just have to throw, I got to throw this in, because as you're talking, and, and the tech uh, people listening in who could follow, this is amazing. But for the non-tech folks, what, what they may not understand is, like, you just described uh, a word that came from the second century, uh, abracadabra, right? So people think that's like the past. <laughs> but if you actually um, look at the etymology of the word abracadabra, it comes back from like, you know, almost 2000 years ago. Uh, it, it derives from a Hebrew word, which is I create like the word. So I speak mm. and I create, which is literally a 2000 year old concept. And it's just, uh, you know, it's why I, I named our company magically because I thought like we're like magic would actually appear. But what's interesting is, all the text stuff is describing how it works, but to the user, you are going to speak and you will create worlds in exactly the same manner as these 2000 year old concepts, uh, which, which you could read about throughout the middle ages, but it goes all the way back to like almost 2000 years ago, this idea that uh, creation through speech, which was magic, um, and people go, that, that's not real. But what's interesting with what we're describing here that is becoming absolutely real, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah, sort of like for is. a listener who doesn't get the tech part, bottom line is you're going to have these like Harry Potter-like powers. You're going to speak and, and gesture and point at things and entire worlds will appear way beyond what's happening in Midjourney today. It's going to be yeah. very Harry Potter-like. Well, and that's why you know we, we've, we've said this a couple of times now, this intersection of, of AI and XR. You know, the, the first time that I put on a VR, a good VR headset and was tricked, my brain was tricked into believing that I was in this other environment. We all had that experience, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, whenever it was. And it was a phenomenal magic trick, right? Really incredible. And it's just gotten better and better. And now we have this second magical technology where we can just conjure stuff into existence by speaking. And so, of course, when you put together these two magical things, one that provides uh, um, an illusion of an environment and the other that's able to populate that environment, uh, it's, it's just amazing. Wow. Well, that is actually a great place for us to wrap up the show, David. Uh, it's been great having you. As always, Roni, we never allow enough time for the guests, but then a podcast that's <laughs> podcast that's over an hour long may be a bit much, uh, especially since we did kind of nerd out today and dig deep uh, with David. We nerded out. Yeah, we, we dug deep into <laughs> topics. We Usually we stay more surface level, David, but this has been a great adventure, and I really appreciate you taking us there. So uh, I look forward, look forward to meeting you in March. Yeah, can't wait. Uh, see you at GTC. Thanks, guys. Yes. This has been a lot of fun. All right, everybody. Thank it's you, been David. a great show. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you here.
here next week. 